listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I'm your host, Giovanna Capoza, and I'm here today with my special guest, Danielle McLeod. Danielle is half of a team, a duo of remarkable women, and she's here today to talk to us about their model of approaching corporate life from a radically new perspective, one that brings in compassion and more energy and really more attention to each person's individual fulfillment than it does to the bottom line. And I have to say, having come from that world myself, it is very much radical thinking to think that we could approach business and corporate life in this radical, new, amazing way. So I'm really excited about the conversation today with Danielle. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Like I mentioned before, she is the co-founder of Remarkable Women, and a former customer service director for Sky in the UK. She led over 10,000 people at that position. She's a qualified eating psychology coach and a certified Dare to Lead facilitator and the author of Remarkably Easy. Remarkable Women is in its fourth year, and it gives its attention to guiding women in living a life of impact and joy while avoiding the perceived costs to health, relationships, and wealth. So without further ado, I want to welcome Danielle to the show. Hope you enjoyed this one, guys. Hey, Danielle, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. Oh, I'm just delighted we've made it happen. I know. It's, it's funny. We were saying just before we hit record that I'd been wanting to talk to you for some time and I was going down the list of who I'd like to have on the show. And I kind of did this like, duh, like, oh my God, I can't believe we haven't actually recorded this conversation. So I'm actually um, really happy that you decided to come on. Oh, thank you. I'm not taking it personally that you waited a while. <laughs> no. Well, the best for last, right? Because, uh, exactly. you know, that's what happens. This is, um, I haven't uh, officially, well, I've, I've made some official announcements, but I'm going to say it right here. This is the last season of She Rises. And so you're one of the the last few guests of my my very first baby podcast. So there'll be others, but this is this is the one. So I'm, I'm really excited that you came on. Thank you. I feel very honored. Yeah. So we're going to talk and I'm so happy that actually you and I are having this conversation because one of the things from when we met a while back that it just absolutely struck me about you and that I loved is that you're so real. um, You're so authentic and down to earth and you've got this lovely quirkiness to you that I just adore. And you've now created something really a vision around leadership that is unique And I wondered before we dive into what that is, if you can share with the audience how it is that you got to be, you know, Danielle, who who does talks about leadership and and teaches about it really worldwide. We were talking right before we aired about some amazing global events that you're hosting. So yeah, tell us how you got here. Well, not the conventional way, but that's kind of everything about me is um 
is unconventional, I would say. I um, had I wanted to be prime minister. I live in Scotland. I'm actually English. Yeah, I wanted to be prime minister. I was very I clear. That. I know. <laughs> I was very clear when I was a child. That's what I was going to be. Of course you were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, no doubt about it. And um, people are still asking me if I could get on with it now, given the uh, situation <laughs> in Britain. But um, So I did a degree in politics and... Um, my one of my really senior lecturers pulled me to one side and he said I don't think you should go into politics and I said what do you mean this is like my life dream and he said it's not what you think it is he said it you want to change the world he said and my recommendation to you would be it will eat you alive um he said so wow. I think you should think differently and um I took what he said to heart, to be honest, which left me screwed <laughs> because I didn't have another plan. And there was no plan B. <laughs> no, there wasn't. And so when I left uni, I actually, the only thing I could do really, really well was type fast. Um, <laughs> I could type at 120 words a minute because I, That's I know. That's unheard could, of. I know, because I'd done um, data entry to get paid while I was at university. Wow. And you got paid per piece basically per coupon that you completed and so being supremely competitive that's all it was I used to race whoever was sat next to me so they wouldn't know I was doing it but I used to try and turn two coupons over to their one and so um I just became this really fast typist so when I left university um the the, the, the work I ended up doing was secretarial because everybody wanted somebody who could type that fast you know I could get through things nobody else could but it was awful for me. I mean, I wanted to be prime minister. Right? I so know. Like, and here you are, a typist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. And so I, I had this really difficult kind of entry into professional life where um, I knew I was smart, but I didn't have much to offer apart from kind of a curiosity and um, probably a bit of like young kid arrogance, to be honest. You know, I was like, why am I a secretary? I can do so much more. Just give me things. And so it took a long time, actually, for me to eventually end up in human resources which is where everybody kept putting me it was like oh Danielle's good with people kind of let's put her into human resources and um eventually cut a very long story short there's a bus business in the middle and all the rest of it I ended up with um <laughs> exactly a bus I, business yeah, a spectacularly bus business <laughs> at the age of 26 oh. um I ended up at Sky TV in um in the UK which is uh, owned by an American company now Comcast but you know Britain's biggest TV company and um, I was an HR manager and kind of worked my way up the ranks a little bit and um, eventually was invited another long story to become a change director and then one day um, which is the job I really wanted right so when I joined the company there was this snobby guy in change who wouldn't let anybody into the change which is all the sexy projects you know the really fun stuff everyone's doing um he wouldn't you couldn't be in his team unless you'd got an MBA from Cranfield which is a big um posh university in the UK and my MBA was from the Open University so that definitely didn't how count. dare you I know exactly <laughs> and I was from human resources and you know, you can't do um, projects. And he left and had many successes. And one day I was offered his job out of nowhere, really, um, having um, done a bit of work in that team. And so I finally got this job that I had always wanted. And it was like the most disappointing day of my life. I don't even oh. know how else to describe it. I don't know what I thought was going to happen, like fanfares and red carpets and stuff. But I ended up probably in the most toxic environment that I had been in. Um, in the whole of my career, a very senior exec team who just did not like each other at all and really didn't like me joining the team. And um, 
it was awful. And what I also discovered was I just had no interest in how a widget fitted into another widget, which was effectively what my work was. <laughs> Not only did I have no interest in it, I didn't even really understand it. And so, but because I'm smart, people thought I was really good at the job. I was like breaking inside. I was absolutely breaking. And so I remember going into my boss one day who was um, ex-army, had a really big job in the army before he came to Sky. And I, he was expecting like a one-to-one -one where we talked about budgets and programs. And I said to him, I need your help. I don't know why I'm on this planet. And if I don't work <laughs> it out soon, I'm going to leave. Oh, no. <laughs> and you were serious. Yeah, I was really serious. Oh. And um, he just, just, I don't know what my purpose is, you know, and it's not this. It cannot be this. And he looked at me and he just turned to his laptop and started typing which I thought was a bit of an odd thing to do. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting you a coach. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, which actually was genius. Um, and so I found that I, I started to work with this amazing coach and she sent me off on this leadership program with the Coaches Training Institute. It's a very famous program called Leadership. You don't get to find out anything about it, really. And um, I funded it, but Sky gave me four weeks off over the course of a year. And... Um, I guess it's quite unusual for someone deep in corporate life to go through really deep transformation. But essentially that's what happened to me. So I made a decision that I would go and find out who I was if I didn't care what anybody thought about me. Like there were 14 other people on this program and it didn't matter whether they became my friends or not. It mattered that for once in my life, I learned who I was. Oh. And so, um, that's, that was the commitment I made when I rocked up at the program, effectively that I would be metaphorically naked. Um, not actually, although some people did get naked on the program. I there are it. some coaching programs like that, Danielle. We've all yeah. heard of them. <laughs> well, there was a bit of nudity in the program, I have to say, but not me. Uh, I wasn't quite bold enough for that. But what happened was I discovered really that um, I disconnected from my heart. Oh. really disconnected from my heart and I'd become to all intents and purposes I was still a nice person don't get me wrong but I'd started to become all the things about corporate leaders that I didn't like you know I could kick ass in a meeting I could boss people around and tell them what to do and I had a real reputation for results and people liked working for me but what I realized was that over time I just started to corrode my values and I had started to switch off my heart and so I went back to my job, like a little bit woo-woo, um, a little bit hippie-ish, and started to make changes really very quickly. In I life. wanted to pause for a second though, Danielle, sorry to interrupt you, because I think this is really valuable for the people listening that heard you just say that, which is, I switched off from my heart, mm. and there's something inside of them going, oh wait, have, have, I, have I done that? And, but they can't tell, right? Because you know when you're in it, like my very first spiritual mentor who's dear to me to this day has always said to me, when you're the red in the rainbow, you can't see other colors. Mm -hmm. So how did you get that recognition? Like what was the contrast for you so that people listening could say, oh shit, I'm doing that. Or, oh no, I'm okay, I'm not doing that. Like what, yeah. what does that feel like? That's a, that's a superb question and one no one's asked me before. You shouldn't be stopping doing this podcast. Um, <laughs> There'll be another one. There'll be another subject. <laughs> yeah. A few things for me. I noticed that I had a tendency to want to win fights um, 
in, in the workplace. And that whilst I didn't like a fight, I certainly could get stuck in with everybody else. And I also noticed that you could persuade me to do things that deep down I didn't think were the right thing to do for the good of the business. Um, so your values were being compromised? Yeah, I yeah. think they get chipped away so slowly that it's a bit like your nails breaking. You know, you don't necessarily really bother about one and then, but you would bother if all 10 of your nails fell off your fingers. Right, yeah. But I think it happens so slowly that you forget how they used to be, you know? And so every time you would kind of, I would kind of put my foot down and say, no, not this time. I'm not going to go to this edge this time. I would just be persuaded a little bit closer to it every time. And I, I realized that, um, I mean, I'm very, what would I call it, red energy. So I can be quite directive, quite assertive. But I realized that it was kind of my way or the highway in a lot of places. And that, you know, I often say to women who come to me and they talk about um, the challenge of somebody with an energy like mine is they often say, well, I have to come up with all the ideas all the time. And I say, of course you do, because you've trained everybody that you come up with them. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, because we, we train anyone whether it's relationships personally or at work like if you're the one that looks like you've got it together all the time yeah guess what everyone's going to put it on you yeah and also if if you always believe your idea is the best one no one's going to bother putting any ideas forward right? absolutely and so um i came back to work it was really fun i'll never forget this because two things happened one was i quite visibly if you if we were on video today you'd see i've got like a heart badge on started to wear hearts like on sweaters and in jewelry and in necklaces so it's like a real conscious thing for me about just connecting differently and i remember meeting with the um the CEO one day and the director of comms walked into the room and he said, have you met Danielle since she came back from Spain? And she said, no. <laughs> and he said, she's a little bit weird. <laughs> but he wow. was curious, right? He leaned in. And so here's a really surprising thing that happened. I was three months into this program, which was 10 months in duration. And I got um, a call from him one day. It was a video conference. And he said, um, we want you to run the call centers. And I thought he was joking. Like I literally burst out laughing because I was a change director and I had no experience of running call centers. And he said, I'm not joking. We want you to do it. And so I went from 65 people to 10,000. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just madness. And there was a little bit of me, like I'm just a secretary, you know, what the hell are you doing giving me this? <laughs> and I remember saying to him at the time, even though I wasn't sure if I was going to accept the job or not, and that was challenging in itself. I said, um, the thing is, I'm not who I used to be. And if you are looking for more of her, then I'm not the right choice for you. Oh, and that's he, powerful. Yeah. Well, here's what was even more powerful. He blew me over with what he said next. He said, I know that's why I'm asking you. Wow. Palpable difference, right? Like they could yeah. tell the shift. Yeah. I mean, it was astounding. And so all of a sudden, I had 10,000 people to practice being what I would describe a heart-centered leader with. And I dramatically changed my leadership style um, just by experimentation, really trying new things. The thing about me is if I'm going to go into a development process, I'm just like all in, you know, I'm not going to mess with it. I'll try all yeah. this stuff. 
You, I've witnessed it. You are. You're all in. <laughs> like if we're doing it, we're doing it. Yeah, you know? let's dive right into the deep end. Yep. <laughs> and I'll weep with the rest of you and all the rest of it. And so I had just entered this huge period of experimentation alongside the great gift that had been given me in this program of not really caring about the trivia and the whether people were giving me permission or not. Um, I just, in a really liberating, heart-filled way, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care if it didn't work. I just knew I had to try something different. Such a, um, I wanted to pause a second there again, because I think for people listening to this, even for me, right? Because this is one thing when I'm, if I'm dealing with women um, that are in corporate or um, wherever they're coming from, that is a high pressure, high intensity situation of their own leadership, right? Um, law firm, surgeons, whatever, have it be clients of mine, is this, is this feeling of when we get to the heart centered nugget and start doing that work, it's this kind of fear of like, but is that going to be okay? Like, is that going to be accepted? Will, like, and so I love that you have this beautiful, not only transformation, but then you go to work. It's, it's palpable. They could feel it and it's validated and it serves you because I think so many people, women in particular, men too, though, dealing with the heart centered stuff. It's like, because corporate for so long, um, just the world of capitalism in general for so long has not included the heart. So there's this fear. So I just wanted to just pin that because, you know, for people listening that are maybe afraid to do this work or they don't want to get too gushy or they don't want to bring their heart in it. Right. It's like, no, actually this is what we need. Right? Well, so, let me move you to the model that we teach now, because I yeah. think that will really help solidify this. Because exactly, I, rem- I remember going to back to the CEO one day and saying, I want people to learn what I've learned. And he said, yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> right? <There's laughs> opportunity, we can't do that. And I said, why not? And he said, because not everybody's like you. And this is kind of your thing. And um, so the deal was really give Danielle more and more people so that she can do her thing. But she, almost like I was the special one who learned this new thing that was not teachable. It, I don't know. I always to describe myself as Mary Poppins, but it was, it was quite an odd experience. <laughs> 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 and one day I'm just going to fly away. Oh, and then I could just fly. see that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and one of the things he said was, you know, Danielle, it's not all... It, you get results, he said, but we can't teach people that this is like hug a tree and just love everybody and everything will be fine. And I heard what he said. And at the time, I probably wasn't as skilled at demonstrating the model as I am now, because of course, I've had time now to process what it was that I did and to build a model around it such that it's just super easy for me to teach now. And everywhere we go and teach this model, people are like, hallelujah. Yeah, like it's revolutionary. Yeah, and so I want to share a little bit of it with you because I think it really helps women to get to this place of, oh, now it makes sense, right? And so this this triangle that we would use is not unusual. I think Brené Brown uses a different phrase for it in her work. But we use a triangle of three roles, which is victim, warrior, and queen. Yeah, the drama triangle. Exactly that, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but we've built kind of a, a, a platform around that that's probably a little bit different to help people understand, like, how does the queen show up in the world? And so what I saw so frequently was loads and loads and loads of people, you've seen it in corporates, like utter victims. 
I can't do this. I can't do that. They won't let me. This Hands is are tied. again. Yeah, I, this organization keeps doing things to me. And it's like, who is this person? <laughs> and the thing, <laughs> even if those things are happening, it doesn't serve you to be disempowered, right? So the victim role in every, you know, when you're talking in relationships, is so useless to you because you can't do anything. Like you're frozen. You're just waiting for people to do stuff to you. But what I see in corporate is so many women then moving to warrior. So if I can't, I've got to fight my way out of this. That's the way to get hard, right? Exactly that. Yeah. And join the boys and um, be more assertive. And we use really interesting words, I think, that suggest to women they need to man up. But actually, we teach uh, warrior and king as well, you know, as well as queen. But I always lead on queen because our work's about women and it's good for men to hear a female pronoun sometimes. Yes. <laughs> and so... What I saw so repeatedly in almost every big meeting I went to was power struggles, you know, and um, warriors fighting other warriors and essentially leaving dead bodies strewn around the room. And often like giving up their own arm in service of winning, frankly, sometimes really trivial battles, right? But just so used to, this is how we get what we want. We go in, we start a war and then the best one wins. And if you're the strongest warrior in the room, you win. And what I realized over time was just how exhausted I was with that. Like just, I didn't, I was a, I was a winning warrior, let's face it. But it's heavy to carry all that armor, right? Rev myself up all the time for, oh, let me go in for another territory battle. Um, You know, it would be a real joy to be in meetings where people were just being nice to each other, But what I started to do was move to this queen position where effectively, instead of being convincing, which I think, um, and, and dominating, I moved to compelling and inspiring, right? So how do I become so compelling and so inspiring to other people that they don't want to fight me anymore? They want to join me in my cause, right? Beautiful. Yeah. And how do I create a world where even if they don't want to join me, they don't sabotage me? And they accept that I may go and find other people who will join me. And actually, you were talking to me earlier about my own battles with body image. And I suppose what's ironic about this whole story. And mine, yeah. Yeah, in the middle of this, I was um, grappling with body image issues and and in a second eating disorder. Whilst I was doing all of this transformation work, I think in many ways, that's somewhat natural. Um, But it it was the guy who taught me eating psychology coaching who taught me about the queen. And actually his work is queen and princess and prince and king. Mm -hmm. And um, what he said to me was the queen doesn't have time for trivia. (laughs) Like her work in the world is so important that she mustn't be distracted by whether she has bat bat arms or cankles or wrinkles on her stomach, you know, whatever it might be, because that's just pure distraction from the things she is supposed to be doing in the world. I just, I got an image of Oprah when you were talking about that, because as much as she's had such a public battle with her weight and body image, I have never seen her as someone, and I don't know what happens privately with her, but I've always seen her as a queen because I've never, you know, as public as she's been about it, and I'm sure there's been private anguish because we all know that, I've never seen it hold her back. It's never been about that. She's just done it anyway in spite of you know, that sort of thing. So I, I, I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we often use Oprah as a queen example, along with Michelle Obama and, you know, yeah. some, some other big names in the world of these 
women who are, you know, if you think about the queen as a role, whether you're a royalist or not, I mean, just think about it from a, a fairy tale perspective. There's another place where we do lots of bad queens and not so many good ones. The queen's role is to rule a nation to for a long time. Like you don't want the queen to die. <laughs> Right. And so she can't afford to go to war and she doesn't want to take her people to war because that's an ineffective method of leadership. And so her work has to be about what am I here to do? Who am I here to serve? And also, most importantly for women, how do I protect the asset, me, so that I live for a long time and I do the work I'm supposed to do in the world? And so the queen has no permission, which the, the warrior dies for their cause. You know, that's the whole point. They theme, fall right? on the sword, right? Yeah. And it's so funny when you're using this. So I've used, I've used and heard these same sort of archetypes used in interpersonal relationships, right? In the relationship coaching I do. And there's this, um, when I, these women who it seems like we coach very similar women on different topics, but these women that come who are armored up they take such pride in being the warrior because I think society's like, yeah, be the warrior. And it's like, no, it's killing you. Stop it. Right. Well, everyone seems to forget the warrior is trained to die right? for I mean, the cause. Yeah. yeah. And also that warriors are utterly dispensable, you know? And so often when I'm teaching King to men, so good. I'll talk about the chessboard and I'll say, look at how many knights and pawns there are compared to how many Kings and Queens. And the only job of the knights and, and, and the pawns is to protect the king and the queen. That's it, right? And each one of them is sacrificed in favor of protecting the king and the queen. That's right. You're consciously choosing that in your life. That's such a good metaphor. I mean, it's exactly, and, but it's almost, again, I go back to this whole, like we've been almost trained that this is how it should be. And like the com, you know, the comments towards women too, like put your big boy pants on, you know, get in there and, you know, suck it up with the boys. And it's like all of their womanhood and connection to their heart has to get left at the door yeah. to do all this at the cost of our physical health, our mental health. Yeah. Um, and it really, I'm sure effectiveness at work, because if you're, if you're going down with the ship as the warrior, <laughs> yeah. I mean, then they lose you. Right. Well, and also yeah. all of our research, when we moved into creating remarkable women, which was a rebrand from an original business, was we were, I was interviewing kind of high potential, high flying women. And I was asking them what was the difference they wanted to make in the world and were they doing it? And what I got back, I mean, it was incredible. There was only one person who was like, I don't, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I don't want to make a difference. I don't want to, I mean, she really just wanted to be at home and ski and be on her horses and nothing wrong with that, but she was the only one. That sounds lovely right now, actually. Yeah, exactly, in the conversation. And what all the others said was, I really, really want to make a difference. I am not doing what I believe I could in the world. And the reason I'm not is the cost is too high. The cost to my health is too high. The cost to my relationships is too high. The cost to my security is too high. The cost to my mental well-being is too high. So I am choosing not to. And so I get really frustrated when I hear all this chat about women not having enough confidence, because that's not what I hear at all. I hear women saying, I don't want to be like that. You know, I don't want that life where I have to work ridiculous hours. I have to put my health on the line. Um, Sleep when you're dead. Exactly. Yeah. And so we're losing out on an important component of leadership in, in, well, in fact, it's just yin and yang, isn't it? I mean, when people say to me, am I an angry feminist? I'm like, absolutely not. But I crave balance in this world. 
like the masculine and the feminine energies are both so critical, but we want balance in them. Yeah. And so when we create worlds where the masculine is, is dominant, we see the cost of that just as yeah. we would create worlds where the feminine was dominant and we need to balance. And so our, my work has really been about how do we show women how to be good queens? I love that. Like, yeah. And so we teach them three principles. The first is ruthless compassion. So how do you show up in the world as a leader that can say the things that need to be said with so much love that the other person knows you have only good intentions? Because that's how you- Where does that even happen? Like, I just, like, you're saying that and I'm like, what a revolutionary proposition, right? Like, where does that happen? Well, if I were to tell you, when I took on the, the big job that I spoke about earlier, I was under intense pressure, intense to fire my team. Um, I mean, to the point where I was probably getting two or three calls a day from different people who were being told by my boss or my boss's boss, you need to talk Danielle into this because she's not doing it. And um, I remember sitting down with my boss and I just said, this is suicide for me to fire my whole team. I said, because you, it will take me, these were very senior people, it will take me six months to fire them another six months to replace them, and then another six months to bed in whoever comes in next. Are you gonna be happy with 18 months of low performance? <laughs> and it, which is always what happens during a restructure, right? And he said, no, of course we're not. I said, then let me try with who I have. Let me try with who I have. And if I don't do it well, you just need to fire me. You don't need to fire all of them, right? Because it's my <laughs> job to lead them. It's not your job to go a level below and sort them out. That's my job. So if I'm not doing my job, hold me to account on it. And, um, and you'll notice even like the queen can say things like this in a way that's not attacking or confrontational. So a lot of the queen's skill is tone. It's not the words, it's tone. So I can say that and he can look at me and go, all right, well, I'll give you a shot then. Right. And, um, so I sat down with each of my team and I gave them, what I said to them was, I'm, I wonder how aware you are of your reputation in the business right now. And I wonder how you're feeling about it. And I wonder what you want to create differently. And what I said was, you have my backing to create what it is that you see as critical in your business areas. You have my backing and know that I'm also going to hold you accountable and that this is not an open-ended time scale, but I will do whatever is within my gift to help you become a success. And in that conversation, people open up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't feel fire breathing down their neck and uh, basically a survival threat, right? Yeah. You've just opened up the door to, you know, I like you're not abdicating the throne, right? You're saying I'm still going to hold you accountable and you still have to produce this. And I am not going to be chasing you with a flamethrower. Yeah. So allow a person's individual talents, gifts, and skills to emerge yeah. on their own. And we just don't do that. We don't nurture people. And that's what I hear in all of this is a, an, an environment of nurturing. Well, I remember having to sit down with one guy and and he was expecting to be confirmed as permanent in his role. And of course, the, the whole organization behind the scenes was like, that's not going to happen um, because you have to remove all of this team. So you certainly can't confirm him. And sitting down with him and saying, it's not going to happen in the next six months. Um, and his face falling and me saying, I want you to know I back you. Right. I'm not saying I'm going to give you the job, but I want you to know as a human being, I back you. 
I know you've got some talents and it's our work over the next six months to draw those talents out. He was promoted within a year. Amazing. And I remember my boss saying to me kind of 18 months on, he said, do you know, Danielle, he said, you've got one of the most of my teams in this whole organization and we asked you to fire most of them. Yeah. See that. Amazing. And so ruthless compassion for me is about how do you have a conversation with people such that you take your own crap out of it because I think often it's like that conversation really needs to be had but I don't want to be the one who hurts the other person so I'll dodge it right and hopefully somebody else will have it and so part of the queen doing her work so well in the world is learning how to say I don't have permission to bring my crap to this conversation (laughs) like I must be in service must be in service to who's sitting in front of me and when you're fired up to say i want nothing for this person other than success in their life you can say all kinds of things yeah when that's in your bones you can say all kinds of things what a beautiful approach and just yeah i just absolutely adore that well it just i mean and you'll know as a coach you know our work is to say things to people that other people might not but all you have to do is wrap those words with love yeah and people can hear them with absolute clarity at least seven times out of ten i'm gonna say yeah absolutely and so when somebody talks to me about is this going to be really wishy-washy and oh we can't all walk around hugging people i'm like that's wishy-washy leadership you know i don't want you to walk around just hugging people and telling everybody they're great when they're not right exactly what i want you to do is want the best for them Oh my gosh. Okay. I want you to get through your three before I go. Cause I'm like, what about this? And what about that? Like, have all this. So <laughs> I'll let you do that. And then I'll ask what I wanted to ask. <laughs> okay, great. So the second plank is profound service, right? So a queen is ruling a nation. And so her work is to ensure that her people metaphorically, and you don't have to be a leader in this, but her nation is well nourished, well loved, set up for success or the rest of it. And so there are loads of pieces in here, but I think that the two that I would give is, um, the first is you've got to play a long game, not a short game. And so what I see so often, especially in corporates where people are running in 30, in 90 day chunks all of the time, is those 90 days are not connected together into a bigger picture. And so it's like, I'm just burning from one 90 day set to another without saying, well, hang on, there's our big North Star. This is the transformation we're trying to create. And so... And, and, and here's the thing you know as well as I do. Any massive transformation in anything in life just requires showing up, doing the work, and being consistent every single day, right? Yeah, and, and open, open to it. Growth. Yeah, it's just compound growth, right? And so, and wherever we create anxiety, pressure, tension is where we keep thinking it's always about the short game. And the queen has to keep her attention on the long game as well as the short game because the long game is life in case nobody's noticed right we all <laughs> live for a long time we're going to live and be impactful and healthy and loved and loving you know that's what we want to create and so when we make everything about exactly what you were saying i'll trade this my health this quarter for a number i'll trade my relationships this quarter for a number um it's insanity it is it's absolutely insanity it's I'm going to go as far as to say that it's like the downfall of like society and humanity because we are more and more disconnected and isolated and depressed and mental health issues are on the rise and we keep perpetuating these types of workplaces and 
ways to be a leader and they're just not working. Yeah, and we've forgotten what we're doing it for. You know, and, and I'm really controversial in the organizational space because I used to even say in that job, and I was working for one of the top 30 companies in the UK, I used to say, I don't give a shit about profit. <laughs> and people would kind of look at me and I'd say, I don't. I'd love to pretend that I do, right? But I don't. Here's what I care about. I care that you are living a life that you love, including all of your time at work. And I fundamentally believe that people who love what they do will do amazing work. And that means that companies will create amazing results, but that's an outcome. Yeah. It's the happy side effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it just means we can all carry on doing the things that we love. Right. But I don't care about profit. And I actually don't believe that most human beings do. I think we're trained to think that we do. And I don't think that's the same thing. And so but if you can hook into what people really care about, again, your leadership opportunities change. Right? Well, and then it goes from, oh, a little bit of Katy Perry there. Then it goes from, it goes from being a J-O-B to I'm here to work in a community as part of, you know, part of these people. And it's, it's not drudgery. It's not a slog. And I think most people, wherever you fall on that scale, you know, whether it's corporate or wherever you work, it, it becomes part of the drudgery of life. And there's another way to approach it. Yeah. And it's so much more fun, you know, because one of the things we would teach in profound service is this idea of um, the, the impact over ego, right? So what's the impact I want to create? Because women often think that ego is about being arrogant and cocky, but I would posit that ego is anything that has us play small, <laughs> right? So it's basically a voice in our head that says, well, not you, you're not good enough. <laughs> and if you, I mean, there've been times when I've stood up and delivered really controversial speeches, certainly one last year, where I've literally, the mantra in my head has gone impact over ego, impact over ego. <laughs> like what I want to create here is bigger than me. What I want to create here is bigger than me. But once you start to step into that, of course, then over time you get the freedom of a mind that doesn't isn't so full of self-importance anymore. <laughs> and that's liberation. Like to not be trivializing, it's back to the, you know, the the fat under the arms and the wrinkles and the gray hair and, and whatever else is is troubling us on a daily basis. The bat wings, I believed you called them, which yeah, the is bat wings. <laughs> I've got really good ones. I'm not going to share them. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all have, right? Which is right. why it's so mad that we would give them any attention. Like it doesn't oh, matter. So true. And so this idea that the queen shows up with a focus on impact all the time enables her to do bold things, right? Enables her to do really, really bold things in service of the long game, right? Which is making a difference, having a great life, being full of vitality and energy. Those things all come together. And so um, just even for people just to twig who are listening to this, whenever you hear yourself saying, oh, I can't do that, realize that's just your ego, one way or another, just holding you back and say, ah, oh, righty ho, I know that voice. I do impact before I choose ego. I love that, impact before ego. Okay, yeah. so where are we? We have ruthless compassion. Yeah, we have profound service. Profound service. And then the last one, which fits in with the long game and the slow game, is slow down to speed up, which you know really well, but yeah. we it in a very specific way. So this idea that the queen is discerning about where her energy goes. She's discerning about the tasks she takes on. She's discerning about who gets her time. 
She takes time to consider what the warrior does is try to complete the fight in the moment, right? And the queen would say, do you know what? Let's all take half an hour, regroup, have another thing. Because sometimes what you just need to do is take a walk. <laughs> sometimes you need to draw your wise counsel around you <laughs> and yeah. say, I find myself in this situation. Give me some ideas, right? But, but the warrior is like, we must get the war done now today and so the queen is in this space of nothing is in that much of a hurry because it never is Giovanna there's nothing in life really that requires an immediate decision wow yeah and we're always putting out fires yeah literally that's how we live which we create we're yeah. always turning fires on and then putting them out I mean that's the fun stop thing. drop and roll <laughs> I always say no one everyone wants to be the fireman no one wants to be the smoke alarm installer <laughs> we've glamorized it right yeah. i mean everywhere you go we have and so this idea that we withdraw to regroup we learn we craft powerful requests because we take time to understand them and we set boundaries and overarchingly in the slowdown to speed up we understand that we are the asset and for the asset to be in profound service in the world we must have good energy we must have a rested mind we must have people around us who act as good counsel. It's just, it's so critical. And yet it is the hardest thing to teach, not to teach. Everybody knows, everybody knows they need to do it, but we are just like hooked on busy. Like it is a real drug. <laughs> um, how, and how does this get, um, how does it get, so you, you shared before we started recording that, you've spoken at Disney and that you'll be speaking for Emirates and like mm -hmm. big corporations who I would posit are still in a lot of this mode, right? Mm -hmm. Of warrior, putting out fires, stressed out people, profit, profit, profit. How, how receptive are they <laughs> to this model? Because I, I love it. Like I'm hearing you say it and I'm going, oh yeah, I could totally see in that position. I was totally the victim then I had to power through it. I became the warrior. And it's like, oh my God, I've, I've missed out on queendom and all these places. And even now personally where I am with my career and the shifts that are happening with me, I'm like, oh, like there was, a, there was almost a bit of guilt there. And I'm like, no, no, I'm doing the queen thing. Like I'm doing what you said. I'm actually like, there's no fires here. I need to regroup. I need to take care of me, you know, that kind of thing. So how is this... <laughs> How do you know when you go in and you say, yeah, right, I'm gonna, this is my this is what I'm gonna talk about today? How do they receive that? Well, you won't be surprised to hear it's normally I normally couch it in different ways. So often I'll go in and say, I'm gonna speak about the art of game-changing leadership. Um, so they don't quite know what's coming. I like it to be a surprise. I love that. You've got to break them in gently. Um, I'll tell you what happens typically. Um a lot of people in the room go, hallelujah, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah. Um, I had someone come up to me at a big event last year and she just put her, she put her arm around me and she said, I've been a warrior my whole life, haven't I? And um, I knew her and I said, yeah, you have. <laughs> and you could just see the emotion in her face was just mm. beautiful to behold. You definitely get some people in the room, almost always, who hate this concept because they have built their success on being a warrior and they don't know how to this is very threatening yeah uh, it would they be. don't know how to be anything else but of course in in the bigger way that we do we'll teach you how to disarm a warrior in a charming way um <laughs> it's actually 
it's super easy to bring warriors on board nine times out of ten I mean let's put the sociopaths to one side for a minute but it, it's it's a pretty easy piece to do um but you definitely get some who are like whoa this is too much for me my experience is um you don't need that many in the room to get it to create a, a change and so um Yeah, most people get it. Most people are like, oh, wow, do you mean I can step out of toxic fights? And what's so interesting is lots of warriors suddenly see a way to change that can only benefit them. Yeah. Um, and so that becomes pretty exciting for those who have the curiosity. And not everybody does, but that's the not same. Not everyone does, yeah. But I would, I would imagine men and women, it would be quite contagious because it is so... Um, you know, to go, go along with the metaphor, it's so disarming yeah. and it's so um, refreshing. And I, and I, even as you were talking about it, I could feel myself like just, like just breathing deeper and just like, yeah, like this is totally it. And it's, it's so interesting to me because of course, like I said, I, I use these archetypes in a very different way around relationship coaching, but it's the same crap. It's the same, it's the same stuff. So I would imagine this has a beautiful effect, not only on your you know, career and your leadership abilities, but also in your personal life as well. So when the minute you. you, you hook on it, you suddenly realize everything becomes easier. Yeah. It's not that the moments of conflict don't arise. Of course they do. But when you realize I can go slower and achieve more, I can work less hard, but more intentionally and transformation just pops around me. And we've literally had, we have a 10 minute video on queen and um, recently one of my clients texted that she had shown it to one of her directors who was in the middle of a war, literally at work. And this woman had gone into a meeting and had come out so excited because she'd done Queen. Anyway, I happened to speak to her, I didn't know her, um, kind of six weeks later. And, and I get on this video call and she just said, you've changed my life. <laughs> and I said, how have I changed your life? We've never met. And she said, I was at war. My whole team were at war with the department for months. And she said, I watched that video and I went in and the question we always say is, what would my queen do? And I just said, what would my queen do? What would my queen do? What would my queen do? And she said, um, at the end of the meeting, my team were coming up to me and saying, well, what on earth happened there? We've never had a meeting with this team like that before. And um, that's how powerful it is. Like you don't need hours of me teaching it. It's great that I get to do that and to really layer it and give people techniques. But it can be as simple as that question. What would my queen do? I love that because I was just about to ask you because I'm, I'm aware of the time. I know you have a hard stop because you've got to run to do more of this amazing work. Um, <laughs> but I was just going to ask you if you could leave us with one thing to start the disarmament, right? Um, and that's a beautiful question is what would my queen do? So you, yeah, you read my mind. Thank you so much. This was like personally for me, I got so much out of this as well. So I know you know, my audience will also um, get so much out of it and be able to apply it in all different types of areas. And of course, we'll have the link to your website and all of that beautiful stuff in the show notes so people will know how to find you. And I just, I so appreciate you doing this work and being a queen yourself. Thank you. For Thank you for here. allowing me to share it with your people. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone. 
For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 